From the studios of Advancing Vibrant Communities in Modesto, California, this is Lighthouse Live Radio on the Lighthouse Live International Podcasting Network. Welcome to Lighthouse Live, the radio voice of advancing vibrant communities. Our mission is to motivate believers to move out from the four walls of the church to personally serve the needs of their neighborhoods. Get ready for a no-holds-barred, honest look at the Christian lifestyle the way Christ commanded it to be. All that and more coming right up here on Lighthouse Live. And good evening to you, wherever you may be. Pastor Mike Douglas here, along with our producer and co-host, Elaine Harlan. Welcome to Lighthouse Live and the Lighthouse Live International Podcasting Network. Great to have you with us, wherever you are in the world, even those places that we can't pronounce. Yeah. It's, in fact, we have a new listener in Argentina, and uh, I can't remember the name of the city, but uh, great to have you with us as well. And, of course, our faithful prayer intercessor, the inimitable Mr. Owl, Owl Ramsey, with us as well. And, uh, you, you know, God God plants treasures mm. in his in his kingdom, and we'll be talking to one of his treasures a little bit later on today. But uh, right now, friends, let's check in with our friends from Voice of the Martyrs. What will people think when they hear that I'm a Jesus freak? What will people do when they find that it's true? Hey, what's up? This is Michael Tate with the story of two Jesus freaks, one real-life one fictional. The main character in the allegory, The Pilgrim's Progress, is named Christian. Millions of believers have been inspired by his perseverance as he journeys from the city of destruction to the celestial city encountering many pitfalls along the way. But did you know the author, John Bunyan, had his own challenges too? He served 12 years in prison for preaching without a license. But it was there that he was inspired to write that life-changing allegory. Bunyan once said, I never knew all there was in the Bible until I spent those years in jail. I was constantly finding new treasures. For more inspiration from real-life martyrs, go online to persecution.com. You know, friends, isn't that so true? I think some of our, our greatest insights, the times we get really close to God and the times when he matures us are when we're going through a lot of pain and, and tribulation. And, uh, yeah, well, wonderful things he does with that and leverages it. Uh, for the advancement of his kingdom. And we'll be talking about that a little bit today. Hey, a program note for you coming up. Of course, it's Christmas time. Mm -hmm. And uh, beginning on Christmas Eve, December 24th, Lighthouse Live, if you're listening to the live stream right now, we'll be going 24-7 from the 24th clear to the next Monday uh, with our Lighthouse Live 2008 Family Christmas Special. So we invite you to tune in. It'll also be on our our archive, and that's lighthouselive.com blogspot.com. You love saying that word. I do. It's like (laughs) I was rolling down I-5 and got a blog spot on my windshield. Uh, So you like lighthouselive.blogspot.com, the family Christmas special. (laughs) And also, uh, we're going to be putting up a wonderful interview that we did with uh, Pastor Dennis Kazar. Mm. Just a wonderful, wonderful uh, conversation, and and the time just went by really quickly. Uh, The journey 
to our journey to the untroubled heart or hope for the troubled heart. Mm. Great new book that Dennis has out. We're going to be talking about how uh, he went through a lot of pain and tribulation in his life. And out of that, God really brought him some great insights onto having an untroubled heart. You know, there's value in the valleys, isn't there? You know, there, you know, it's, it's like, it's like going through the police academy. You know, you're, you're glad you did it, but you never want to do it again. It or boot camp, maybe, all right? <laughs> and, John, you're glad you did it, but you never want to do it again, right? Yeah, so. Uh, By the way, the Energizer Bunny, John yes, Engel, with us uh, as well here in the ABC front room. And, of course, we love the sirens and the buses <clears throat> and everything going by because that's where ministry happens in the you streets. Bet. Well, let's take a quick look at the Volunteer Center of the United Way, their Linda Hand list, because we do have some opportunities to serve. The Salvation Army Modesto Corps with their holiday programs. Volunteers are needed to distribute Christmas boxes of non-perishable food items and toys. That's happening on Saturday, December 20th between 7 a.m. and 12 noon. Volunteers are also needed to help out with the 18th annual Coats for Kids distribution of gently used or nude coats for needy children on Friday, January 2nd. Do you realize the new year is upon us? I just What's cannot, with that? I'm I don't still know. stuck in I, August. I, I'm I still know. stuck on the Weird. 60s. But anyway, that's a whole other story. <laughs> <laughs> Volunteers age <laughs> 16 years and up with help uh, to organize and hang the coats by so, uh, size on December 29th and the 30th. Uh, volunteers also help families with the so selection. So if you want to... You have a lot of hang-ups, then this would be the job Boy, for you, Boy, that would right? be us, wouldn't it? Yeah, really <laughs> so, warm up for that one. Sorry. Were you trying to finish? I'm trying to finish. Right. That we will do. Uh, selection, sizing, and distribution of coats are also needed uh, at the actual event on Friday, January 2nd, once again between 9 and 7. Especially needed now are volunteers from 2 until 7. Now, the uh, Salvation Army Modesto Corps provides assistance with emergency food, uh, noontime meals, information and referral disaster aid meals on wheels, youth programs, and senior services. Good stuff, and I'll give you the phone number for that in just a moment. United Samaritans Foundation. Great people and down you there. Bet. Yeah. A Christmas dinner distribution, helping provide hot holiday meals to the needy in series, Houston, Keys, Modesto, and Turlock. That takes place on Wednesday, Christmas Eve, uh, December 24th. Volunteers are needed to help out with dinner preparation uh, to distribute meals from the United Samaritans lunch trucks and clean up after the distribution at the Houston, Modesto, and Turlock sites. Uh, volunteer shifts are available between 8.30 and 4.30 p.m. Uh, depending upon the site, monetary donations and traditional pre-cooked holiday food items are needed to help provide the 2,000 meals this Christmas. Uh, holiday gifts for children and adults are also appreciated. Uh, the United Samaritans Foundation Daily Bread Ministries provide hot meals or bag lunches to the needy of Stanislaw County weekdays from its kitchens in Houston, Modesto, and Turlock. The Parent Resource Center, where you can help young parents become good parents. Train to become a labor and delivery coach. Looking at nope. <laughs> Pastor Mike and Al's faces right now. <laughs> and you, I wish our listeners could see them. They're going, I, I, I don't think I've so. I've done that twice. <laughs> You've been there, done that. And what it <laughs> ended with is, honey, where's the anesthesiologist? <laughs> anyway. And you know, it's the only time that I've lied to <laughs> and, my and, wife. And Mr. <laughs> Really, because they came and told me. Here's a true confession here. You know, Al's going to turn around his collar. and well, He was trained in the military, he says. <laughs> yeah, really, I mean, they, 
I mean, Lori needed some help, and, and Lots of help they with said, you, but that's a whole nother show. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Mike. Are you going somewhere? Go ahead. I'm well, sorry. Anyway, so, so they said, well, the anesthesiologist is very busy. He's going to be in two hours. I said, my wife could kill me in two hours if you don't get him down here. And so, honey, where's the anesthesiologist? I says, he'll be right here, honey. And uh, that's that's. Uh, I had to confess that later to my <laughs> wife, and so. But anyway, where were we going with all of that? And, and oh, labor and delivery. Alan and I are not going to do. Won't uh, be doing that. Maybe so the Energizer our, Bunny. Our John dear friends, and, that. and that's been. I wonder if John can. If John's remembering when, <laughs> back in the day. <laughs> but our dear friends at home, if you want to train to become a labor and delivery coach, please give me a call. <laughs> no, I just. If you want to mentor a teen, this is... Don't call Pastor Mike on that. No, don't call call Elaine, please. If you want to mentor a teen and a young adult uh, who are parents or to be a co-facilitator at parenting groups, labor and delivery volunteers provide in-home and in-hospital support to pregnant teens and young women, including prenatal and parenting education classes and nursing assessments. Uh, Parent mentors provide emotional and educational support uh, to at-risk young mothers and co-facilitators to assist parents during weekly group meetings. Now, volunteer orientation and 11-week training course is scheduled Monday evenings, January 5th through March 16th is when this takes place from 6 to 8 p.m. Volunteers 14 years and up are also needed to participate in fun, interactive activities, arts and crafts, coloring, water play. Uh, You can assist small children with motor skills development, read aloud, and serve snacks while parents attend classes and parenting groups in Modesto, Oakdale, and Turlock. The Parent Resource Center provides emotional and educational support for parents in nurturing and guiding their children through the critical first five years of a child's life to decrease the risk of child abuse, neglect, and family violence. Now, what an opportunity to share the love and grace and love of Jesus Christ, I say. I, I just think that would be a wonderful uh, opportunity to do that. So if any of these uh, items appeal to you and you are so inclined to do something like this, I, I just would encourage you to call Barbara Borba. Uh, she's at 209-524-1307, extension 113, or email her. She loves that, bborba at uwaystand.org. Or, again, you can contact us here at AVC because we love it just as much, 209-544-9571. If you need an anesthesiologist, I might be able to help Please with that don't process, call Pastor Mike for that now. either. No, yeah. no, 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 no. You know, we would also invite you to share some heat and warmth if you have it. Uh, in the form of space heaters and blankets and such, uh, please call us at 209-544-9571. Again, take, we are taking donations of space heaters and your generous offers to help deliver these items as well, if you are so inclined to do that. I had a couple calls today, and she and her husband are going to be delivering uh, space heaters to uh, families who do not have uh, heat in their homes, and we mm-hmm. are hearing from lots of families who do not have uh, heat uh, in their homes, and so that's a, a good thing. Also, ABC has several families in need of beds, dressers, washers, dryers, refrigerators, so uh, please give us a call with your donations of those kinds of household items, and we will make the connections for those items to get <clears throat> to where they go. Can I put a plug in here for, for those of yes. you uh, prayer intercessors? Um, many of us shepherds will be uh, going up the hill 
Mm. Uh, January 4th for the annual Pastors Prayer Summit, January 4 through 7. That's Sunday through Wednesday. And we go up there, and basically the cell phones don't work, which is a blessing. Actually, if you climb up on the reservoir and you do, remember that Karate Kid movie and how the kid would go like on, yeah, you know, yeah. up like this on one. If you stand on top of the reservoir with your cell phone on one leg and your hands <laughs> up, sometimes you can get reception up there. But not, you know, there's, there's nothing to distract us up there just from uh, getting yourself. on our knees together. We have a for ourselves. <laughs> Getting our knees together before the Lord and and some powerful stuff has come out of there, despite my associate here. But anyway, we'd love your prayers as we go up there to uh, really engage God. And and really, some wonderful things have come come out of that. The um, you know the community marriage policy, uh, the uh, pastors' code of ethics came out of there. Connections two thousand nine, some powerful stuff has uh, come out of this time where the pastors go up and just have uh, some time with the Lord. So if you'd keep that in prayer, January 4 through 7, Pastor's Prayer Summit, we'd appreciate that. awesome time. You know, our guest tonight is a a precious friend and and partner, and attached to her name is also Pastor, and she holds two doctorate degrees in Christian counseling. And we just want to welcome with open and warm arms our sister, Wayna Pritchett, back to Lighthouse Live. And Yay. thank you, yes, for <laughs> thanks for inviting me. coming back and joining I'm us. I'm excited Wayna. about just, sharing. Oh, yeah. it's just a, an awesome time. I, I could also introduce you, I guess, as the lady with the plastic purse. There you go. You've been <laughs> to, let me get this right, Folsom, DVI, Schaffner, Susanville, San Quentin, all of these places, but you've never been locked up. Never been arrested. Never been arrested. But, but I've been doing prison for about 18 years mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. a special calling. Yeah. It? That's a long time. It's a long time. How do you explain long that time. one? You know what? I'm going to go way back a whole lot farther than that. All right. You know, God blessed me with a son. You know, I just had prayed for a child and uh, had, had myself a son. And 21 months later, I had myself a daughter. And... When he was nine months old, we moved into a house and lived there all of his life, his, uh, being at home. Um, he was nine months old when we moved there, and uh, he went to grammar school with the same kids, junior high school with the same kids. And I didn't realize then at the time you were saying God plants treasures, what a devastating thing that would actually be. You you kind of think, you know, the, the white picket fence and 2.5 cars, and, mm-hmm. you know, that's security for us, you know, to be able to stay in the same place and not have to hop up around from house to house. But actually for us, it worked in, in the other, in a different way. Um, the summer between my son's freshman and eighth grade graduation, uh, my husband and I separated. And so, his freshman year started out kind of rough, but, um, you know, trying to be just as normal as we could, you know, and trying to just get by. Um, he went to school and one day and I, I got a phone call that, um, he had been jumped by four boys at school, mm-hmm. not knowing that, uh, on Saturday he had taken this young lady to the movies, which how, how normal can that be? And, of course, I had been super mom. I want to add that in there because, you know what, I think there might be some listeners out there saying, you know, I don't know if I'm doing it right. I don't, you know, I was I was just your uh, textbook of super mom. 
I was the Cub Scout leader. I was the, the Brownie leader. I was the room mother. I was the baseball coach. I was a cheerleading coach. I, I worked graveyard. But I was everything that my kids needed. Wow. You know, I mean, they didn't, they weren't raised in, without mom. You know, so there, I had done everything right. I had done everything right. I was on top of their homework. I was, you know, involved in their school. I mean, I had done everything that you would think that a parent would need to do in order for their kids to succeed and be great citizens. And so um, when I got that phone call, he dated this girl on a Saturday. And Monday, I got this call that from the school that said that he had been beaten up. I need to come right away. And when I got over there, he sure enough, I mean, he was bleeding pretty bad. Mm-hmm. Um, not knowing what effect that was going to have, I, you know, I said, well, yes, of course you're going to call the police, you know. So um, the four boys went. One went to the youth authority right straight, and two of them went uh, to um, juvenile hall. And one, they put on probation. Well, their friends said, you know what? We're just going to beat you every day because you sent our friends to jail. Mm. So you don't think about that. You think, you know, something happens, you're going to call the police and they're going to handle it and everything's going to be okay. So now we have this issue. Well, you know, the neighborhood kids got drift of all that. So the next thing you know, they're coming over the house wanting to know how he is, you know, how his stitches are healing up and you know, one of the boys said to him, ah, man, don't worry about it. You know, you just hang out with us. They won't bother you. I never thought a thing about that. Mm. Never. I just, I find, kind of found a comfort in that. And so did he. These were the kids that I said we had lived in the same house. He went to grammar school with these kids. I didn't know anything about gangs. I didn't know about generational issues. I didn't, we were just like your quote unquote normal family. Um, so here we are. You know, we're, we've had this issue, and I'm expecting that this too is going to pass. I'm a Christian. I pray every day, you know, and, and I'm thinking, okay, this is just, it's going to heal, and everything's going to be fine. Um, so for Christmas, he asked me for a pair of red shoes, red belt, and red hat, and I thought, hey, th- hey, my boy, he's coming right along, getting some fashion conscious here, you know. Here we go. I thought that was really mm-hmm. good. But he went to his dad's and he came home with a Cincinnati Reds jacket. And I thought, now, wait a minute. You know, we're Oakland A's fans. Uh, no. So I, I began to question, what's going on? Oh, nothing. I said, well, why did you get a Reds jacket? Well, I like him. I said, really, who's the pitcher? Didn't know. Who's placed first base? Don't know. You know, they've been to the pennant, you know. I don't know, but I like them. And so I called his dad and I said, you know, something's wrong. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, I would just be in a hussy. Just <laughs> shut up. You know, leave the boy alone. Okay, fine. But a few days after that, I went to the grocery store. And on a pole in my neighborhood, I saw the first three letters of our last name written in a manner that I had seen in his room. Mm-hmm. And I thought, wait a minute. What is that? Oh, oh, no. I never made it to the store because I began to drive my neighborhood and my those three letters were on dumpsters and walls mm-hmm. and behind stores and and all that and I realized well, there was a real issue. I went to the school and said, you know, I don't know anything about gangs, but you know, I I think my son's involved in something. Oh, we don't have gangs at our school. And so I got no help there. Um, I called his dad. Of course, you know, he was whatever and uh I got no help there. 
my family, we don't know anything about any of that. So there was really, there was no help. I kept reaching out. I, I tried to get him to go to counseling, and I'd get him halfway there, and I'd stop a stoplight, and he'd get out of the car, <laughs> you know. And so, I mean, I just, everywhere that I reached, I just hit these dead ends. There was nothing. And, you know, just the peace of God was the only thing I had to rely on during that time. Wow. And so, uh, you know, just one thing after another. And then, you know, I found a sawed shotgun under his bed, and I, it just went from there, one thing after another. Next thing you know, we have police at the house, and he's being arrested for shooting in the air in the neighborhood. And, you know, well, the first time that he went to prison, he just turned 18. Mm. Just turned 18. Did 16 months. Um, I was devastated. I was just devastated. I didn't know. I didn't know what to do or how to handle that, you know. Um. 16 months, that encompasses a lot of holidays, a lot of special days. So when Thanksgiving, it was late in the year when he went to prison, and his birthday came, which is in the end of November. And, uh, oh, boy, how do you handle that? You had a child, and you've celebrated 18 birthdays with them. They were right there if you needed something. I mean, you could go out on the street and find them if you had to, but... Uh, because he was in and out of the house during all of that time. And all of a sudden, I found myself just, uh, how do you breathe? How do you breathe? You have someone in the system. You can't call him when you want to. You can't go visit him when you want to. First time I went to visit him, I was just, I went, but I didn't get to see him because they told me, oh, no, you can't wear any denim. You can't wear the color blue. You can't wear, and some of them, you can't wear gray and you can't wear olive green. But you don't know that until you get there kind of thing. And, you know, you know I mean, just being new to the system, I didn't know what to expect. And so, you know, you have to have a clear plastic purse. Well, that's when my plastic purse yes. came into play. I bought it at Walmart. cost me a dollar, I think, or mm-hmm. something. And you put your quarters because you eat out of vending machines. And my ID, and I'm a heart patient, so I would take my my heart medication with me. And, boy, they're so picky, you know. And if they look at you and you just look a little bit, nah, if they're in a bad mood, you're going home. Mm. I have driven six hours to Susanville and been told, they're in lockdown, go home. Mm. Uh, you know, so I there's there was no compassion there either. Well, I was a bacteriologist, and I loved my job. But... Work became the other thing that I did because on my off hours, I got very little sleep. That's when I learned to sleep two, three hours a night because I would be go home and go to bed and get up two, three hours later and, and work on the issues of how do you get through this? How do you get through Christmas? Do you buy Christmas present for them and wait till they come home the next year? And there it sits as a reminder to you every day where they are, what it took for you to get to this place, and to say to you, how are you going to get through tomorrow? You know, the only hope was that this is going to pass. And so, or do you not buy them anything? And then you feel like you've betrayed them. I mean, it's just there, there's so many emotions that the person at home is going through. You know, not how do you get through Every one of those issues. I mean, Mother's Day. 
I would get called on Mother's Day, but instead of, hi, Mom, happy Mother's Day, I love you, I appreciate you, it was always, if you hadn't done this, if you hadn't done that, I wouldn't be here. And so, you know, too many times you catch the blame for what's going on, you know, and you try to defend yourself. How are you going to do that on the phone on a collect phone call? But at the same time, you wait for those phone calls. You wait for those phone calls. Because, you know, we're out here. I've never been behind bars. I've never been in that situation. But I know that things happen in those places. I know people hurt each other. Um, You know, some of them are assigned to hurt somebody. They have to. Shot callers tell them. You know, you wanna you wanna get ahead. You gotta put in your work. And what does that mean? That means you gotta do anything I tell you to do. And if I tell you to kill somebody, then that's what you have to do. Mm-hmm. And they don't flinch, because there's so many uh, the youngsters, you know, that are willing to put in their work. Um, and how do I know it's not going to be mine that they go after? That one's mine. Everybody in the prison system has somebody at home that's waiting. To hear that click phone call, to hear the sound of their voice, because as long as you can hear their voice, there's hope that they're going to come home and things are going to be all right. Things are going to change. They're going to get a grip. You're going to say the right thing. You're going to, they're going to go the right place. God's going to put the right person up in their face and something's going to happen. So there's that hope that you just ride on you know in the deepest days you just the only thing you have is that phone call that's coming where you can hear their voice um when i talk to the pack meetings i have a friend carolyn who um her husband uh was in Folsom and he was a lifer but you know they do the writs and the appeals and you know we had gone through that process with her for two three years up mm-hmm. there and um I got an email from her one day, and it just said, what can I say? Bobby's dead. Mm. <laughs> I was like, what? And I called her. Mm. Um, now, Carolyn, you have to understand, she has an Arabian horse ranch up by Sacramento. Mm. Very business savvy. Business savvy. Animal savvy. Mm. Super at what she does, you know. Um, and when I talked to her, and she told me that an inmate had called her. It was... Uh, on a Saturday, she had visited him, and Sunday morning was an Easter Sunday, and she was getting ready to go see him, and an inmate called her, not the institution. They never have called her, and that was yes, five sorry. years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, An inmate called her and said that Bobby had gone to the hole the night before and that he had hung himself in the hole. Well, we all know there's nothing in the hole but a toilet. That's it. They'd take their clothes off of them. There's nothing in there. Um, Carolyn today is, uh, she can't even do her own shopping. Mm. She carries him around in her purse. You know, he goes everywhere with her, doesn't talk to her, doesn't hold her. Um, But we know those things happen. And so we're at home wondering, is today my day? When am I going to get that phone call? Because, you know, like my son is just like, the majority of them, their hair trigger temper, you know, bad mood. I mean, they're, you know, they're not these pristine folks. There's an issue where they wouldn't be there. 
And it's a whole different culture. A whole different culture. That we don't culture. understand. Oh, yeah. Right? yeah. Yeah. And they have subcultures. You know, yes. It's a culture with lots of little subcultures. Now, your son did get out, and he was out several for a while. Times. Several times. And then and he was out for a good while, and there was a the lot of The last time he yes, was out for six years. Six years. Talk a little bit about that six years. Okay. Boy. Um, you know, when they first get out, you you just say, this is it. We're not, we're not going through this again. Not going to happen again. You know, not going to happen um, in that time, he uh, produced some children, and uh, I have those children today. Mm-hmm. I have those children. I have custody of them. I have an eight-year-old, a six-year-old, and a three-year-old. Wow. And of course, you can't see it on the radio. Well, I have gray hair. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm 62 years old, and yeah. raising a three-year-old is a tough thing. Um, anyway, so um, he got married and 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 had uh, two children with with one girl and. Um, that wasn't working because they were living that lifestyle, and I ended up with the eight-year-old when she was about three days old. I got her, and um, then he had gone back to jail for a little short period of time when the second one was born. He was in for 19 months while waiting trial. He walked on that issue, but he had been arrested, and um, she was 19 months old, I think, when he came home. And, um, you know, when... They just, the lifestyle doesn't change. Mm. The hope, you hang on to that hope, you know. You try to get them to go to church. You you try to pray with them. You try to say the right thing. But um, you know what? It's not a fun thing. Sometimes it's better having them in than it is out, you know. Well, and, and those patterns resurface. They don't change, they don't yeah. change do they? And no. The, you know, we talk about the recidivism rate and, and, and people, I don't think, understand the depths of the problem there oh my but there's a trend <clears throat> i mean that's what people know is the system the culture that and, and then they get out here yeah with some freedom and but but that the enemy just has this pull doesn't he yeah yeah he pulls them right and, back and his them. dad owns his own business and so mm-hmm. there was money to be had you know i mean he worked for his dad and whether he worked or not his dad mm-hmm. paid him anyway and he always had money well if you're the one with the money you're going to have friends wow. well you're, yeah <laughs> Acquaintances, Acquaintances. you know, they call themselves friends. And so he had a lot of, there were a lot of people hanging with him. You know, there were a lot of people in and out of his, in and out of his life because he was the man with the bucks, you know. We have bucks, there's drugs and and all that. Now, he he was drugs free for about five years. And then he just used one time and that's all it took. And and now here we are. Um, He's been back in jail for, um, it was a year, November 28th. That he went back to jail, so we're still, we're waiting trial. He goes to trial in March. In but the meantime, in the meantime, your heart breaks, yeah. you know, and you and you have these children, you know, they have these children, and then and then they abandon them, you know. Uh, when I combed their hair of a morning, you know, and I I'm probably gonna start crying right about here because just last night I had to deal with um, my oldest one. She's eight years old, and um, I had sat down on my bed for some reason, and she came and sat down next to me, and they call me mom because I'm the only mother they've known, and and she came and sat down beside me, and she said, Mommy, do you think Daddy's ever going to come home? And I said, I don't know, because if he's convicted, he'll do life, and it will be a third strike for him. 
Oh, and I had to tell her, I don't know. Do you need to go? Yeah. Um, I, I told her, I, I don't know if he'll be home again. And so um, you know, I had to have this whole conversation with her about what if he doesn't come home? What does that mean? And she even said, he's not going to be at my wedding, is he, Mom? Mm. Oh. You know, and um, she said, um, um, Daddy always used to be the one. He would come over and sleep on the couch, Mom. So he could be here on Christmas morning. And she said, that really hurt my feelings that he wasn't there last year. But this year, he said, she said, Mom, it's already hurting my heart. Mm-hmm. You know, so um, it's it's hard being the one that, that has to um, hold them while they hurt. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm the mom and, and I've been through my issues and I have a certain kind of pain. You know, and I'm big enough and old enough and wise enough and and founded in God enough to know that prayer brings peace. You know, and I understand the peace of God. But how do you explain that to an eight-year-old that hasn't had to live and depend on God and and uh, just reach out and grab that peace? You know, or at at least even allow it just to settle on you, because sometimes it does that when we don't even try. It will just settle on us, you know. And um, it's it's hard with an eight year old, you know. It's very hard. Yeah, hearts hearts go out to you, Wayna, and thank you, Pastor Mike, dear friends, uh, joining us. Some very sobering stuff uh, tonight, as as uh, Wayna shares, and I think as we. as we pause for Chris Sly's song, and he nails it no matter which side of the prison walls we're on. This is called Empty Me on Lighthouse Live. Every day. 
Live with Pastor Mike, Elaine, and Wayna Pritchett. What a song. You know, I I think of those lyrics, Wayna, empty me. And that's, mm. you know, that's ultimately what we have to do, all of us, those of us who, who name the name of Christ, we empty me. And you, Wayna, your life, you have emptied yourself and filled it up. As you, you talked about earlier, you're raising the girls. Yeah. What, uh, I mean, that in itself you're traveling around, as we were discussing during the song, to all of these different places. You're not only here in Modesto uh, serving your heart out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you're in Merced. You're in um, Madeira. Madeira. You're in um, Jamestown. Jamestown, all over the place. Yeah. And you don't get paid for this. I don't. No, you don't. And you are just giving back. You are giving a unique perspective to these inmates who are mandated to attend these PACT meetings, which right. we should tell our listeners stand for, a parole and community team, yes. uh, because they're mandated to attend these meetings because we want to reduce the recidivism rate. That's what this is about, because so that they can be aware of all of the resources that mm-hmm. are available to them so that they don't go back and repeat. Yeah. <laughs> Most this. of them are free. Yes. So I, I just want to... And it's amazing to me, too, that most of the most of the agencies or whatever they might be that are there are mostly faith-based. Isn't you know, it I mean, they have to start real. They have to realize, and I say that to them, you have to realize that Jesus is the one that's brought this all together. Mm. It's out of his love and compassion mm-hmm. that those PAC meetings have been formulated. You know, um, but I did go to Jamestown um, twice. One time we went up there, they have a, a group at, at Jamestown is a prison, Um they have a group up there that's trying. They're called. It's called Success. Oh my goodness, Success. It'll come to you prob- will, probably in the shower tomorrow morning. Uh, yeah, you call me and say, "Lane, I remember." Anyway, <laughs> it, it it they're trying to work from the inside to succeed. Whether they're lifers or they're coming out, what they're they're trying to formulate this group choices and success. Um, to make the right choices so that they can succeed. And so they asked me to come up there, and I spoke to probably 80, 80 to 100 men. Hmm. Um, and then they asked me to come back. Well, I wasn't quite ready. I mean, oh, I was ready. I, you know, I, yeah, I, I will go anywhere. I will go and speak to anybody, you know, about um, what you go through being an, an inmate family. And um, they asked me to come back up there, and I did. But we walked right through that visit room 
and right through the gate, right down the hallway. And they took us in the room and they said, you know, we're going out on the yard. Mm, wow. I never expected ever in my life mm. to be out on a men's prison yard. And they said, you sure you want to go? I said, yeah, I do. And they, of course, they said, you know, we don't do hostage. If anything cracks off out there, you're hurt and you're dead. And I said, well, if I'm dead, I'm in heaven, so let's go. <laughs> you know, oh I mean, I, I will mow down the yeah. enemy any chance I get, oh. you know, in this area because my family's been so devastated. Mm-hmm. And I watch those three little girls hurt every day. So, you know, if I can punch back at the enemy, I'm swinging. So, you know, anyway. the way you talk to these people is just <laughs> amazing to me. Oh. When you talk to them on their language well, and yeah. they understand you. Well, I've been part of their society for a while. Yeah. Well, yeah. these little girls are special. And they you are. tell them about their children and you get their attention I do. because your little girls are beautiful i've seen Thank them you. and they are gorgeous i love the story that you share about the little one in the grocery store oh yeah yeah um she's three and she has long blonde hair and big blue eyes mm. and we were um in the grocery store one day i had her in the cart and we're just going along well you know she doesn't understand that um something that i have to share with them is that um they're different Inmate children are different. I mean, in California, inmates uh, represent 2% of the population. Well, their children represent less than that, especially in public schools. And so they're different. They're different. They're treated differently. And even though people might say, oh, no, no, it's true. They are treated differently. Um, But we haven't told her yet because she's three. My other girls know we don't talk about dad being in jail out in public, you know. Um, because people look at you sideways. So, uh, and I'll tell you about the eight-year-old in a minute, but the three-year-old was in the shopping cart, and she, you know, an exciting thing for her is, get your shoes on, we're going to go see Daddy, you know, and so she's like, yeah, that's cool, you know, we're going to go to the jail and see Dad, you know, mm-hmm. um, because most of her life, that's where he's been. And so um, this lady bends down and puts her nose right down to her and says, aren't you just the cutest little thing? And she doesn't know. And she yells, my daddy's in jail. <laughs> you know, and that woman, I, you know, oh, that woman's face mm. became stone. And she literally took three giant steps backwards away from her. Mm. And I just, I was livid, mm. you know, and I said to her, lady, her dad's in jail She's three. She hasn't done anything. She's not packing a gun or nothing. Yeah. You don't have to be afraid of her. Yeah. You know, that's that's what they go through. And, of course, a little Athena, she's looking at me like, Mommy, what did I do? Yeah. You know. Yeah. And so, you know, we went to the toy aisle and looked around. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, but my 8-year-old, you, you try to do everything you can to make inmate children feel normal. Um. You know, when you go to parent conference and you're the parent, you have gray hair. You're the oldest person in the room. You know, that that's saying something to them, and it makes them feel different. Mm-hmm. Um, but she had wanted to play soccer. So I took her and signed her up to play soccer. And, you know, she's on the playing field and made a little friend. And when the dad found out that her father was in jail, that ended. Mm-hmm. That little friendship, you know. So they feel different. My six-year-old back to school night this this year. You know, children say things sometimes, um, and they don't really mean any harm. It's just kids being being open like they are 
a little boy says to my my six year old, "Is that your mom?" Well, I'm the only mom she's ever known, and she said, "Yeah." And he said, dang, your mom's old. (laughs) You know, I mean, I have gray hair. Come on. And, you know, and and she stepped in front of me and put her arms out like a shield, you know. And she said, yeah, yeah. Well, she's the best mom ever. (laughs) And I thought, how sad is that, that a six-year-old has to protect me? from another child Mm. but see that's that's the thing that they have to go through that people don't understand when as as you've talked to uh men and women coming out of prison giving them this perspective of what their kids are are going through what type of reactions do you get is it uh, an aha moment is it what what you know what what you You get? get a lot of things you get a lot of them some of them won't look at you um I know Wayne Davidson, the, the parole officer, he loves to watch him because mm-hmm. them big old hard criminals will cry. Yes. They'll cry. You know, but I, I had, we had gone to Jamestown and we're out on this yard with 1,500 men. And I spoke to him about what, how their families feel, the mm-hmm. fear. Yes. The fear that we have and what they're doing to their children, you know. Um, and I got a Mother's Day card signed by the majority of those men. Is that right? There were a few of them that left and kind of went over and hung by the building, didn't really want to hear it, and and I absolutely understood that. But last month, when I uh, once a month I go to Madeira and, and Merced, I was in Merced, and I spoke to him in Merced, and I you know, had stepped off to the side, and when it was over, this man rushed me. He literally was coming at me, and I thought, oh, Lord, <laughs> you know, oh, 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 here we go, you know. This is the one thing I've been dreading, and um, he said, I found you. I found you, and I thought, okay, now, wait a minute. This is taking a twist, <laughs> you know, and I said, you did, like that, you know, and he, and he said, yes, I was at Jamestown when you were there, oh. and I said, really, and he's grabbing for my hands, you know, and he said, I have wanted, I've asked, I don't know how many people, how to get a hold of you. How could I find you? You know, he said, I heard everything that you said. He said, I, I stood over by the building. I really didn't want to listen. He said, but I couldn't help it. And he said, I, I heard everything you said. And he said, I, I made amends with my family before I ever came home. And he said, um, I know now what I have to do. And he told me, he said, I promise you someday I'll be here as a speaker. Mm. Um. You know, and uh, like at one of the pack meetings, a guy came up to me and he said, I would really like my mom to be able to talk to you. And he says, matter of fact, she's going to pick me up. I said, is she outside? And he said, yeah. I said, well, let's go outside then. <laughs> and he just kind of, you know, his eyes got big. They don't expect that kind of kindness. And so I walked outside with him and his mom was in the car. And I walked and he introduced me to her. And I just said to her, I know how you hurt and I know the fear. And she just broke down, you know, and started crying. And I just put half my body in her car window and was just holding her, you know, and letting her cry. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and she just said, I didn't think anybody understood. I didn't think anybody under- knew how I felt. Wow. Um, but the ones that do bring their families to the PAC meeting, their family will come and say to me, um, there was a man at the last one in the yes. wheelchair. Yes. I remember. And he came up to me afterwards and, and his daughter, he said, this is my oldest daughter. I said, well, who's the inmate? And he said, it was me. And um, it was really hard on her because her husband's a sheriff's officer. And so she couldn't let anybody know that her dad and him and their children. And so she would have to take her kids, but they weren't allowed to give addresses. And it was really, really difficult for her because her husband's a sheriff and her dad's in prison. 
Um, but she came and said to me, I've never been able to say how I feel. I knew mm. it was in there. But she said, until you said it, I didn't know how to put it into words. And so I get a lot of feedback mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I get a lot of inmates that will say to me, I guess you'd call them ex-inmates or not inmates anymore. Um, they'll say to me, uh, I never thought about that. Or I knew I knew my family was unhappy, you know, but uh, I didn't know they felt quite like that. And one of the things that I tell them is that when they get home, their families, what they hear their family say is, I, I hate you. I don't like I don't love you. I'm done with you. I'm through with you. Get away from me. Don't ever want to see you again. And and what I say to them is that, you know, their family's not really saying, I don't like I don't love you. I hate you. What their family is saying is, I can't do this anymore. I can't take the fear I, my nerves are shot. I can't hurt anymore. I can't miss you on Christmas morning the way I have. I can't do this anymore. That's what they're saying to him. They're not saying, I don't love you. Because you know what? I My son's done some horrendous things that he never got caught for, I'm sure. I know he's done. He's shot at people. I know he's done some terrible, terrible things. But he's still my son. I don't like what he does. What he does affects me and my whole family. Um, my house used to be the hub of my my family. All the parties were at my house. Thanksgiving, Christmas, birthdays, New Year's. I mean, everything was done at my house. My mom just passed away last month, and at her memorial, one of my sisters said that Wayne's house was always the hub, you know. But there came one day when my, my youngest sister uh, was leaving my mom's house and there was a guy standing with a hood up over his head and it just hit her that my son could be that man mm. you know and that it could be something not nice that he was thinking about doing and it scared her and then and they my whole family just said you know what as long as he's involved in gangs we can't come to your house anymore and so um my house has been abandoned mm. from from and i'm very social i love to have parties and but I haven't been able to do that in years. And that breaks my heart, you know, because I love to entertain. I love, I love to be the hostess. I love to welcome people in with open arms and haven't been able to do that with my family. I, I do it with other people, but, um, you know, you don't think about my own, my own mother, my own sisters, people who love me wouldn't come to my home. You know, how horrible is that? Wayna, early on in the program, you mentioned that, that lifeline called prayer. Yes. And, you know, we throw Philippians 4, 6 through 7 yes. around a lot. Um, talk a little bit about maybe some new depths of understanding that perhaps you went through of understanding what, you know, the, the peace that passes all understanding oh, means yeah. or what it means to have your uh, heart and mind uh, with Christ Jesus guarded. In if Christ it Jesus. had not been for my walk with God, I I don't know where I would be. And sometimes I even question myself and say, would I have been swept up in all of that? Because when you look at the generational families, yes. when you know what, you, those people, some of them just got swept into that. It's like a vortex, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. they got sucked down in the, mm-hmm. into that. And they say, you know, mom was hanging with the kids trying to be their friend. Mm-hmm. You know, and that very w- could have been me because when I look back on that, there was a time when it was like, well, I'll just go hang with them, you know, and that way I know that where they are. Um, 
But being the Christian woman is the only thing that, that has brought survival. I mean, literally survival to me. Um, I have stood in my living room and shouted at God, do not let them kill him. Do not let them maim him. You know, he would leave and I would just begin to pray and say, God, don't let him kill him tonight. Um, how horrible is that for a mother's heart mm. to have to cry? Tears rolling down your face, laying on the floor sometimes, sometimes balled up on the couch in a fetal position, you know, begging for your child's life to the creator of the universe. You know, um, and just having to walk that. But bringing, in the midst of all of that, he would bring this incredible peace. And though I was crying and though I was wringing my hands, there would be just a peace that would settle. And I still have that to this day. You know, and it's been, we're almost, you know, we're coming on 20 years, you know. Um, And I realized that um, a lot of the things that I've had to go through with him was not for my benefit, but it was to make me the woman that I am today, Mm -hmm. able to go Mm -hmm. stand on a yard with 1,500 men and say to him, what you're doing is not right, or able to go and put my arm around a mom and say, I do understand, Mm. able to say to a daughter, you know, your dad's coming out of prison just now, but God can change all of that. He has used you. Absolutely. He is using you. Um, You know what? I look back on it all now, and it's been horrendous. I mean, I had I had a heart attack in the middle of all that and had a quadruple bypass at 41 oh years, goodness. 43 years old. Mm. In 1990, I had a quadruple bypass. I mean, I was just 15 minutes from, from heaven. Um, and I, it's been one thing after another. It, it hasn't been just that. But because of that, the stress of of the gang activities and, the, and just the hopelessness, you know, that you feel, um, you know, you... But when you look back, I mean, when you're going through it, it's like, oh, God, where are you? You know, are you hearing me? You know, and and you sometimes you feel abandoned by God, you know, and you're like, where are you? But that peace comes, it comes, it comes. And next thing you know, you're going, oh, I didn't go through that for me. I went through that for somebody else, someone who doesn't know him, someone that doesn't understand prayer. That you can cry out in the middle of the night. And he does hear you. My my prayer partner, yes. Janet, is always saying to me, oh, Wayne, he's mindful of us. Janet he's Wright mindful. is here in the studio she with is. us. We want to thank her because I know she's at your home every morning. She's at, at my home every morning, 4 o'clock. Yeah. Yes. Thank we you, pray. Janet. Can't thank our she's prayer partner. She's my prayer partner. partner. Yes. God bless her. Oh, it, it is, is a lifeline. Life Absolutely, yeah. it is. Wayna, we're bumping the clock uh, just okay, a little I'm bit. Sorry. We've got about two minutes no, left. No. We're the ones. What, uh, <laughs> what is, God, a few words that God may may have through you to families who are going through a similar situation. It's Christmas time. It's the yeah. holidays, and a lot of that painful stuff is going to come back up. What, what would you say to them right now? You know, I would just say to them, rejoice that he was born because of his birth, you are going to make it through this. And though it hurts to the very depth of your being, know that Christ himself has already felt your pain and he will carry you through this. And it may not look like it to your eyes right now, but open your heart and let him enter in and bring that incredible peace 
don't buy those Christmas presents because they are reminders that that person is not there. Just continue on. Keep your head up. Don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. Walk through society with your head up and your shoulders back and know that God is mindful of you no matter what's going on. His eyes are on you. He doesn't blink. And he knows every heartbeat. I would imagine some folks will say, gee, I'd like to get in contact with Wayne Ann. Oh, come on. Yes. Yeah. How yes. can people get a hold of you? Would you like them to call us? or what, It doesn't a... matter. They can do either one. They okay. can call you because I know that they probably have your number. My number is 209-480-9439. That's my cell phone, and I have it on me all the time. So, you know, anybody can call me. I, and I'm willing to go and speak anywhere that they want me to speak. Your school, your juvenile hall, your, your I will come to a family event. I don't care. Precious one, you just spoke globally, and we just oh, pray amen. that God touch some hearts and ears oh, as they so. heard. And uh, we'll have you back again. Oh, good. Merry Christmas, Wayne. Merry Christmas to you. God bless you, dear friends, as you're listening, wherever you are. And may God continue to bless your lives as you reach out and love your neighbors as you love your friends, as you love your God, too. Amen. Amen. <laughs>